Welcome to Marvelous Disney, the podcast that discusses the most recent doings in one of the more dynamic divisions of the Walt Disney Company, which is, of course, Marvel Entertainment. This is entertainment writer Jim Hill, and my co-host, the amazing Aaron Adams, and I are recording this week's episode on Wednesday, January 25th, 2022. We've been talking about award season on the past couple of shows, so I thought we'd take a different approach before we got started here. Aaron, did you see who came in big at the Razzies this year? Razzies? Uh-oh, that's no good. Uh, I have not seen... Uh, let me take a moment to ponder who didn't do well. I mean, I'm guessing if you're asking me, it means that one of our Marvel people well, are there. Yeah. Oh, who is it? Who is it? Give it Give it up. Okay. Well, the nice folks behind Morbius, which that got five different Razzie nominations. Now, does this surprise you, Jim, that, that Disney's going to go ahead with doing a Tron movie with Jared Leto in the lead, considering that Morbius was crapped upon so heavily i've reached out to our pal drew taylor who has some wonderful stories about the original tron sequel uh, the sequel to okay. tron legacy that they were literally up in vancouver getting ready to shoot when disney pulled the plug and right. that was 2010 so this would have been 2011 or thereabouts right yeah it's been about a decade or so yeah, yeah. so they're finally circling back to it but yes mr leto got recognized for worst actor Adria Aron, who supported him in the film, was the worst supporting actress, worst oh, no. worst director, worst screenplay, and worst picture. Wow. Well, Sony's sweeping up the award category this season. Yeah, <laughs> I know. What's kind of interesting is that just today, the Razzies got razzed. Oh, wow. Well, it turns out that they recognized uh, a 12-year-old as a worst actor, and they actually got pushback from folks in the industry. It's like, hey, you know, he's a kid. Right. So they, they yeah. announced that from here on in, they are only going to be... Picking on the grown-ups. There we go. 18 year older. <laughs> you know. Okay. But anyway, so Razzies are handed out the night before the Oscars, which are, are March 11th. And on the other hand, I'm sure the folks at Marvel Studios aren't necessarily thrilled about how Sony's Morbius did. But on the other hand, just yesterday, uh, the Really For Real uh, Academy Award nominations were announced. And as we've been talking up, Angela Bassett did, in fact, score a Best Actress in a Supporting Role nod for her performance as Queen Ramonda and Black Panther Wakanda Forever. By the way, Aaron, this is a first for, for Marvel Studios. Uh, up until now, the MCU films have typically been recognized for the below-the-line categories. This Ryan Coogler film also stayed true to form there. It, it, it picked up nominations for visual effects, costume design, and uh, makeup and hairstyling. Given uh, how emotional this film was, given its exploration of grief, they also picked up a Best Original Song nomination for Lift Me Up. So we are six and a half weeks now to the 95th Academy Awards, which are going to be held on Sunday, March 12th. The official voting doesn't get underway till March 2nd and then closes five days later on March 7th. So now that the real work begins, Angela Bassett's going to be really making the rounds, really doing interviews, all that sort of stuff. Beyond that, uh, just one reminder uh, to everybody that a week from today, Black Panther Wakanda Forever debuts on Disney+. Plus. That's Wednesday, February 1st. And to help hype that, a brand new trailer, which really leans into Shuri is the new Black Panther, debuted to hype this film's debut on that subscription streaming service. And then just six days after that, 
the Blu-ray and the DVD of this Ryland Coogler film drops on, on February 7th. And now, on an earlier Marvelous Disney, Aaron, we alluded to the fact that this Blu-ray DVD is coming out with four deleted scenes. What's kind of interesting is over at the direct, Russ Milheim, who actually got to sit down with Dominique Thorne, she's the young lady who played Riri Williams, the soon-to-be Ironheart character, and got to talk with her about an entire story thread that got cut out of this Ryan Coogler movie. And we talked about the Namor Shuri fledgling romance thing. There we go. Well, it turns out, running parallel to that element, there was also, evidently, we watched Shuri and Riri build their relationship. That During that time when they were trapped in the cave, these two brilliant young women, who remember are both inventors, both you know brilliant scientists, were trying to craft a way to get out of the cave. And so it was sort of a callback to the original Iron Man, where, where Tony Stark is in the cave and is using all of the material that he's being handed to make a weapon to craft his very first Iron Man suit. Supposedly, Riri and Shuri were stealing little bits of Talakan technology and that sort of thing and were creating a device that would create a distraction that would allow them to escape. And this piece over on the direct, they don't get into exactly why this story thread was cut. Uh, Though that said, Black Panther Wakanda Forever wound up being two hours and 41 minutes. Yeah, that's your answer right there. Yeah. It was... uh... Good, but not absolutely necessary to tell this particular version of that movie. Mm-hmm. Probably very true. So uh, we will have more Marvel-related news in a moment, but but first, got a note here that the news portion of Marvelous Disney is brought to you by Storybook Destination, trusted travel partner of the Jim Hill Media Podcast Network. For a worry-free travel experience every time, please book online at storybookdestinations.com. Also, we were talking about the direct a moment ago. The direct, by the way, just went on to predict, based on folks they've been chatting with, when we're going to finally get to see the next limited series from Disney Plus, Secret Invasion. And they've sussed out that that's going to debut on Wednesday, May 10th. Did you see the, the story that bubbled up about Chloe Bennett uh, earlier this week? Yeah, we've been wondering, is she, is she going to be coming back as Quake, uh, reviving her character from, from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.? So what's the scoop? Is that <laughs> a tip in one way or the other, the answer? Evidently, back in the day, certain misogynistic Marvel fans once tweeted out that Bennett was a lightweight and that she'd never be able to hold her own should she ever be allowed to appear along big-time MCU actors like Samuel L. Jackson. Chloe got on social media this week and deliberately referenced this tweet and posted it and then followed it up with words to these effect. Your tweets aren't going to age well. So, <laughs> well, I wonder how long she's been sitting on that one. <laughs> yeah. You know, the contract, she's looking at the date. Okay, at 7 p.m. on Tuesday, I can tweet this and nobody can stop me from the Marvel PR team. There we go. There we go. So, all right. Looking forward to that scene in Secret Invasion. All right, speaking of Marvel-produced limited series, production of Daredevil Born Again officially gets underway on Monday, February 6th. And I know there are folks who are still out there moaning about how Marvel Studio just lost James Gunn to DC Studios. By the way, did you see that evidently it's this week 
where Gunn's finally going to open the kimono and talk about the films that he's now got in the works uh, for DC? Oh, really? Yep. No, I, I kind of was thinking that he would wait until The Last Guardians was done and in theaters and he was fully, fully, fully done with Marvel before he started talking DC. That's kind of... A little bit surprising to me, yeah. Especially given how negative certain members of the DC community have been. It's just sort of like, all right, better to get ahead of this. So that we'll get some specifics over the next week right. or so. Yeah, okay. I wanted to point out that the tide does run in the other direction. To be specific, Grain Godfrey and Jill Blankenship, who previously worked on Arrow, for the CW, which wrapped up eight seasons last year or thereabouts. Those two have just been hired by Marvel Studios to come work in the Daredevil Born Again writer's room, which is kind of an on all hands on deck situation because they've got to commit for 18 episodes over there. And I, I know they've got the stories broken down, but as for the actual writing of those episodes, that's what they need the bodies for. Right. Okay. While we're noting what begins shooting when, Blade is now scheduled to begin shooting on May 30th. That movie's original director, Basim Tariq, wound up leaving that project in September of last year, just two months before production was supposed to get underway. He was then replaced by Lovecraft Country director Jan Demange on November 25th. And so the Blade reboot still has... A September 6, 2024 release date posted. I'm told that that may change. And one of the reasons that that may change is that Venom 3 is supposed to begin uh, production in June. I mean, literally on the heels of the Blade reboot. That's being directed by Kelly Marcel, who wrote the first two films. Evidently, Sony is very upfront about the fact, no, we haven't officially announced the release date of this thing, but we've always put the Venom movies out in early October. So this one will arrive in theaters in October of 2024. And so the folks who were doing Blade now are like, maybe we want to visit a different release date. You know what? After Sony picking up all these Razzie nominations, I wouldn't be given a, a, a flying spit about what Sony's plans are if I were Marvel. You know, if they think they want to, you know, clear the runway for our Mega Venom 3, I'd be like, hell no, I'm landing all my big movies around here. Screw Venom. <laughs> <laughs> when they have that conversation, that's that's kind of at the moment that Sony holds up the Academy Award for Into the Spider-Verse and goes, oh, by the way, you do remember that's coming out. No, 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 that's not what they do. They hold up a picture of Tom Holland. You go, you ever want to see this kid again? You'll shut up and let us do our Venom stuff. And, and then Marvel backs off. Okay, fair play, fair play. Leave right. Tom out of this. I, 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 I stand corrected. Okay. In other news, of course, we've been talking about Ant-Man and, and Quantum Mania. You're rolling right up on that release date, February 17th. And been fascinating to see the posters for the IMAX version that they are just firing on all cylinders about you need to go out to theaters and see this movie. What's interesting is now the trades are weighing in on projected box office for Ant-Man. And I, I want to 
I'll point out the original Ant-Man made $57 million over its opening weekend. Ant-Man and the Wasp made $76 million over its opening weekend. Right now, they are projecting that Quantum Mania, the third Ant-Man movie, is projected to make, again, over those first three plus days, if we count the Thursday, pre- third day previews, 96 to $31 million. So certainly damn near double what the second Ant-Man film made. But at the same time, Kevin Feige's got to be glad to hear about that news. But did you also hear what gave Mr. Mr. Feige heartburn over this past weekend? Oh, Kevin's got so many plates spinning. I, I, it could be any number of things. So, uh, yeah, okay, what, what was it that caused Kevin some troubles this time around? Evidently, the full script to Quantumania leaked online over the weekend. Oh, that's right. I did see that. I, I have not looked for that script, but I did see many people say that the script did, in fact, leak. So did you glean anything out of that or have you tried to avoid? Well, I went the middle distance. I did not seek out the script per se, but I did find out about the twist ending, which I will not share. Wait a minute. Twist ending? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Now, now it's making it to where I got to go look up the script. If you're not going to tell me, I'm going to have to go look this up. And it'll be your I, fault, no, no. Jim. Your be, fault. <laughs> be strong. Be strong. Okay. I guess the, the thing to remember is this is the film. And again, remember. We, well, we're setting up the Kang Dynasty. So, I mean, if you just want to say that Thanos wins in the mm-hmm. end of the first Infinity War and then we get to Endgame, I can almost see something like that where, you know, Kang triumphs in the end because if he fails there's no kang dynasty to lead to so i have a feeling that kang's going to come out with the upper hand the info that's available online is not necessarily about kang it's about what happens to other characters during this film and they make some interesting choices which again when you think about it first film of phase five yep First film of Phase 5, it's like, if they're going to actually do that, that's a smart story thread. That's definitely, it raises the stakes, it puts some skin in the game, and that's all I'm going to say till after February 17th, where yeah. when we all go to theaters and find out if this leak script, in fact, was the leak script. And I mean, even if it was the genuine script that they were shooting from day in and day out, mm-hmm. we all know that what's written on the page is never what's actually uttered word for word on the screen. It's a, a close approximation. There will be differences. There will be edits and trims and substitutions and things like that. So yeah, even though the script is out, I, I think it will. there will still be some little surprises in store. Certainly. And just to sort of cycle back to what we were talking about at the top of this week's show, that if somebody had leaked the original script for Black Panther Wakanda Forever. And, I'm, and again, I'm not talking about the original Black Panther 2 sequel where... Uh, Chadwick was still with us. Yeah, and he was, you know, with his eight-year-old son bonding and, the, you know, and then has to go save the world, the two of them. Uh, think about it. If the original version for Wakanda Forever had leaked and people were like, oh, so, so Neymar and Shuri are a couple and Riri work and, and work yeah. with Shuri to escape. And it's like, no, that all got cut. That all, you know, so it'll be interesting to see if the, the, the film on February 17th actually reflects the script that, that appeared online. Right. Okay. Anyway, and speaking of things 
ending. When we get back, we're going to talk about the Castle Theater at Universal Studios Hollywood, which formerly was home for a short time in the early 2000s to the very first Spider-Man musical, Spider-Man Rocks. We've been keeping tabs on Agatha, Coven of Chaos, which is now into its second week of production. Did you see any of the images that leaked from the first week of production where they were actually at a mall in Westview, uh, New Jersey? No. What are they shooting in a mall for? The footage that has been released to date suggests that we have authorities investigating a crime scene. So not sure if that's an inciting event or where that will drop in the... um, I mean, it seems legit because I I don't really see malls or go to malls anymore, but every time there's a... Uh, one of the malls in Indianapolis shows up. It's usually because of a shooting. So crime spree in a mall makes perfect sense to me. That answers the question in a legitimate way. Yeah. Well, there we go. <laughs> All right. In a little other news in regard to projects that are off in our future, Captain America, the New World Order, mm-hmm. uh, which isn't due to hit theaters till May of next year, 2024, but they've added to that cast. Sosha Rockmore has joined the cast. She's there with Anthony Mackie, Tim Blake Nelson, and Harrison Ford, who just was on uh, CBS Sunday Morning talking about doing his first MCU film. And it was just the effect of, I'm a guy in my 80s. I want to do different things. So it's like, I've done the Star Wars thing and I got an Indiana Jones movie coming. And it's like, yeah, they offered me a chance to play in that sandbox and I went. You know, Jim, I I got a friend that gave me a call a couple of weeks ago and as we were catching up, he was like, hey, I'm watching that series, Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, did they kill Captain America? (laughs) <laughs> and I was like, oh, dude, you are way behind, aren't you? And he's like, yeah, well, I haven't seen all the movies, but Cap was my favorite, man. If they killed him off, I'm really bummed about that. And I'm like, well, you know, they do have a new Captain America movie coming out, but don't expect it to be with Chris Evans. It's it's going to be Sam Wilson. And he's like, man, that really upsets me that they killed off Cap, man. He was so great. And I'm like, you, you should not speak of what you do not know. You should actually watch these movies to completion and find out what really happened to Cap. And if you see what happened to Cap, you might change your tune about what they, how they wrote him off and how they continue the legacy of Captain America. And so right now my friend is, is using uh, his daughter's Disney Plus account to great avail to try and oh, figure good. out what happened to Captain America. <laughs> okay. And, and then once he gets caught up, you're going to talk to him about Secret War, right? Yeah, well, you know, there's there's so much that he's one of our casual fans, right? He uh, catches the titles that seem interesting to him. Mm-hmm. And so right now he's seen probably a quarter to half of the entire MC universe. And uh, yeah, there's just a lot of things, you know, the side stories where he's like, oh, that's not a character I'm familiar with. I really don't need to see that. But plot points happen that, you know, propel the MCU forward. And he knows that it's all tied together, but, you know, it's just the how much interest do you have to have to do all this homework, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, that that is kind of the difference between the casual fan and the hardcore fan is, you know, you and I are here for every syllable of every, 
you know, movie or show. And, and some people we forget just kind of pick and choose what they like, like it's a smorgasbord. And they don't realize that it's a, a meal that's prepared to be, you know, take, taken all in, all, all at once. And so, uh, yeah, it's just kind of interesting that I also, you know, mother-in-law liked like a movie or two. And she's like, is that one of those Marvel movies? Is Superman a Marvel? <laughs> you know, and it's like, no, not quite. And she's like, well, I saw that one with that Captain America guy. And that was neat. And, uh, and, and that's kind of where it stops. And you go, oh, you know, they have more movies. I also had a friend I used to work with that is just realizing that the MCU is a full cohesive thing because she ended up accidentally seeing like Infinity War first. And she's like, who are all these magical people with all these powers? And then she'd go back and watch Iron Man and go, oh, wait a minute, is this the beginning of something? And, and like she would see kind of in reverse chronology how pieces would fit together. And I had to, had to explain to her, like, Sharon, there's a list. I'm going to give you a link here, and I want you to follow the list and go through the chronological order. These are the things that you're currently missing. And if you'd like to catch up and find out how the first movie you watched, Infinity War, came about, here's your 10 years of research to get there. And she's like, no, I think I'm good with the one movie where the where the bad guy wins. And I'm like, wait, 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 there's a movie after that where he doesn't win. <laughs> and she's like, nope, I'm good. It was fun. It was neat. I like it. But that's where it had ended for us. So, yeah, there's a lot of people out there that still kind of pick and choose as a casual fan and oh, and no, uh no, no. Yeah. you know it's so interesting you bring this up because there are so many series where i have this friend max Schilling who was a huge fan of the game of thrones books you know the oh, actual yeah, yeah. And, you know, and I remember going to stay with him once in Florida and, and him just enthusing, oh, my God, HBO's going to make a series out of this and it's going to be so amazing. And, you know, I mean, I mean, mind you, the guy who writes these books, very slow, but, you know, hopefully by the time, you know, he they finish this series, he'll finish the final book. And now there are, what, five seasons, six seasons of Games of Thrones. And, and now we're on to the prequel. And we House are. Of Dragons, yeah. And, it, and it's just, I've been religious about, don't talk about that because someday I'm going to clear the time to do this but in much the same way like your mother-in-law standing outside of the now five seasons of shows and prequels and and it's like do i have the time do i want to invest or maybe that just I, i'm good i can stand at the outside and go okay it's got dragons they look nice and the hard part is when you hear about how it's like four seasons of methodically placed characters and events that mm -hmm. trigger other events that lead to huge climaxes. And then you get to the last season and it's like someone pushed fast forward on your remote mm -hmm. and just went, hey, we've only got a couple hours to get to the end of this. So this happens, this happens, this happens, this happens at the end. And everybody was very unsatisfied with the rushed pacing, the, you know, all of the character development seemed to not really add up to as much as they thought it would in the end. Mm -hmm. And uh, there, there is a bit of, you know, when, when you compare, there is a bit of a letdown there. And I would say go ahead and, and skip it because it, it's like great, 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 and then a bad ending. And you know how you, you can always say you can forgive a, a poor beginning as long as it ends well, mm -hmm. but it's harder to forgive something that starts great but ends poorly. And that's one of those issues there. Now, didn't George R. R. Martin, he's still writing the book that was supposed to be the end of the series, right? And, yeah, yeah, yeah. And hasn't he alluded to the fact that the book is going to be different than what we saw in the series? 
Yeah, because, I mean, I don't think he even had any real creative input. I don't know if they asked him, what do you plan on doing? Mm -hmm. They just went, we we need to finish the season. And so we're going to just write it and that's it. And I, yeah, I don't know if he gave him the bullet points version to, to get him to the finish line or if he just went, I don't know, guys, I haven't made it up yet. And then they did it without him. But you can really tell that something in the formula was changed or missing in that last season. And I, I really think that George R.R. R. Martin is the thing that was missing from that because he hadn't written the book yet. And correct me if I'm wrong, uh, Wind of Winter, does that sound like the name of the book that we have yet to get, right? I honestly don't know what it was intended to mm. be called. Okay. But I do know like in the prequel that they mentioned, you know, a, a foretelling of a, of a thing which would was called the Song of Fire and Ice, mm. which was a name of one of the books. Oh. And so they, they do, you know, a, a really decent job of, of tying in those little elements that, you know, oh, they said the name of the thing, ooh, you know, kind of one of those deals. Mm-hmm. But um, there's a lot to like about them, about the series, and there's a lot to nitpick. Because, okay. you know, when, when you've got so many seasons, you mm-hmm. know, that's, that's a wealth to pick apart. I guess my problem is I missed my window. I, you know, so many people during the early days of the pandemic binge shows or revisited favorite shows and i I think that was the window we're all locked down we're at home i I should have we haven't had a whole lot of marvel content recently so you've had a window that's been open for a while you just need to clear some of your other stuff off your plate Uh, okay I'll, i'll see what i can do there all right and speaking of clearing things off of their plate universal particularly universal studios hollywood just closed two of its long-running shows on the upper lot. Uh, there was the Universal Animal Actors Show and then the Special Effects Show. Uh, these both closed down on January 8th of this year. And a few days after that, uh, a shop that's in between the two of them, the Production Central store closed down. And Aaron, the reason this is being done is one of the worst-kept secrets in themed entertainment that... Universal Hollywood's about to get a Fast and Furious-themed roller coaster. And what's kind of intriguing about the designs that have leaked about this thing is that you basically, uh, again, Universal in Hollywood is separated into the upper lot and the lower lot. And what's going to be kind of cool about this coaster is it will launch on the upper lot and then go down the hillside in your your car-themed ride vehicle. And then after a thrilling journey, power back up to the top. But for a lot of folks, this is kind of a sad moment because they've been going to the Castle Theater since the 70s. This was built back in the day for a a Universal Monsters-themed show. And for many years, uh, was also home to... The Conan the Barbarian show, which a lot of theme park fans remember for the giant animatronic serpent that would rise up out of the hole in the the center of the stage. But for Marvel fans, what they remember the Castle Theater for was Spider-Man Rocks. Have you ever heard of the show, Aaron? No, but I would I would prefer they called it Spider-Man Kicks Rocks, and it's about a sad Peter Parker that lost MJ or something like that. No, I, was it a music? It had to be a musical, right? Is was it all singing and dancing? It was, but just one of these things were not the greatest timing. This opened uh, the Memorial Day weekend of two thousand two. This is an eighteen hundred seat theater. And what they did is it was a, uh, a musical where 
the cast of six and and you had peter and mary jane you also had norman osborne as the green goblin in fact that was the effect that people talk about to this day that the green goblin flyer actually flew out over the audience and, and then eventually made its way to the stage where Peter and the Green Goblin fought. But this was all to music of the time, pop song. So, Hey, wait a minute. How long was this after Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark? Uh, well, it was actually before. Okay, so they hadn't learned that lesson yet. No, okay. no, 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 no. Now, what was interesting, this was a theme park show. That When it was inter- initially introduced, it was sometimes just nine times a day. So it was a, a 20 or 30 minute long show. And the gimmick was that it was performed to songs like Holding Out for a Hero or uh, Ricky Martin's She Bang. But you got to see Peter Parker beaten up by a pickpocket. But then he's at Oscorp and he gets bitten by a spider. And then for the the two minutes that they're performing, holding out for a hero, he's running around the stage with his shirt off and but showing off his eight pack. It wasn't the best show, but the thing that kind of really bit this thing in the butt is three weeks before this opens again on the upper lot there in the Castle Theater. Sam Raimi's very first Spider-Man movie uh, opens in theaters on, on May 3rd. Oh, geez, that had to just crush the show because it's it was so good, <laughs> well, right? No, no, that, then you go into the theater or the, the auditorium for this live performance with music, and you're just like, who's the kid with the dark hair and the six-pack running around? Where's Spider-Man? Yeah. If you want to talk about bad timing, that it arrived at the exact right moment where this amazing Spider-Man film was out in theaters. It was still number one at the box office three weekends into its release at this point. And the awful part of this is this is allowed because MCA, the Universal's parent company at the time, had signed that master licensing agreement with uh, Marvel Entertainment in March of 94. And remember, Universal Island Adventure theme park opens in May of 99 and has that wonderful Spider-Man uh, 3D attraction. And the folks in California are like, oh, look at how that's driving attendance. Look at how we got to do something out here. And it just, yeah, but we don't want to spend all that money to do the amazing Spider-Man ride-through attraction with its scoop vehicles. And so this is what they kind of defaulted to. Because they spent the money, they felt like, okay, we we have to get some sort of a run out of the show. And so it did hang on at the park for a year or so. In fact, it continued through August of 2004. At that point, Universal managed to replace it with an even worse musical, Creature from the Black Lagoon, the musical. And that only managed to run for six months and then shut down. Well, to be fair, it's incredibly hard to sing underwater. Well, there we, there we go. There we go. Though, Creature in the Black Lagoon closes in the winter of 2010, and Universal only had to lick its wounds. because Again, the theme park equivalent of the Razzies was awarded to the Creature from the Black Lagoon, the musical. But just three months later, The Wizarding World of Harry Potter opened and to great acclaim, and... Um, blanking his name but the head of universal creative when they have the equivalent um the the themed entertainment uh the theo awards when they gave their uh out the theo awards that year and wizarding world of harry potter swept everything the the head of universal creative stood on stage oh yes mark woodbury stands on stage 
And he, you know, he starts his speech off and it's like, I, you know, I really appreciate this, but I want to remind you that we're the same idiots who made The Creature from the Black Lagoon the musical. So just remember that yeah, as good as we are right now, we can be terrible. To tie this in with what you mentioned just earlier, as bad as the folks who made Spider-Man Rocks felt about, oh, you know, we, we made this awful theme park musical at a time when that wonderful Spider-Man movie was out in theaters. But they at least didn't have to live through the press and everything that happened to Spider-Man turn off the dark. Yeah, that that was just disaster after disaster. Oh. How many Spider-Men did they end up going through? Because it seemed like they had to put in a new actor like every couple of days because of an accident. The last I heard, they went through six different uh, and remember, you know, the, the notion was they had a, a lot of individual athletes and flyers for different, you know, dances for part of the show. But yeah, that was the most expensive musical ever to come to Broadway, a budget of $75 million. Didn't Bono from U2 write a lot of the music oh, for that? Oh, yes, he did. <laughs> yes, he did. And Julie Tamor, the, the, the woman who directed the, the Lion King. And in fact, that was the thing. Everybody at Marvel was like, we have the lady who directed the Lion King. And look how long that's run on Broadway. And, and mm-hmm. you know, she has this vision for the show. And it, it was a <laughs> comic book rock opera circus is, is what it was called. And opened on Broadway after the longest... <laughs> It set the record for the longest preview period because they they were just like, it's not ready, it's not ready, it's not ready. Finally opened in June of 2011 and closed in uh, January of 2014. Massive financial loss. So I'm just sharing that so the folks who who made Spider-Man Rocks feel a little bit better. I mean, you know, okay. So you you, you only land for a year and a half, but, but you didn't lose $75 million. I'm just remembering when U2 released an album on on iTunes and and it ended up on everybody's iPod for free. And I was like, gee, I wonder what would happen if Bono was like, you know what? Screw you guys. Here's that Spider-Man musical on your iPod and you can't take it off. So, man, you're going to listen to it whether you like it or not. Uh, That that would have been the best revenge served cold for that. But all right. That could have been. That could have been. Could have been. Okay, so we just took you behind the scenes at Universal Studios Hollywood, but I want to stress here that if you you like going behind the scenes, if you like learning about how things happen, especially in the world of advertising, there's a wonderful new podcast called 32nd Street that Mr. Adams is involved in. And, and can you tell us a little bit about what's going on on that side of the street, Aaron? Yeah, well, first off, uh, the tradition continues that Aaron will only do a show that sounds much differently than it is spelled. Mm -hmm. So just like Marvelous Disney, which is actually Marvel, Mm -hmm. us Disney, a lot of people are saying, hey, I can't find 32nd Street where they'll spell out three zero Mm -hmm. and then spell out S-E-C-O-N-D. And I'll say, well, that's why, Mm -hmm. because it's not spelled like that. It's 3-2-N-D Street. And the gag is because we do 30-second commercials. You know, that's that's where 30-second street comes from. But um, we've got a new show out now, and this is about why. It's, it, the show is titled Pavlov's Dogs, mm-hmm. and it's about how McDonald's has trained you to buy a cheeseburger whenever you hear Justin Timberlake. I know that doesn't make sense. You'll have to listen to the show to find out what it means, but trust me, you, you'll understand once you hear the show.
And it's on Patreon, by the way. So if you're looking for it on iTunes or, or Apple Podcasts, not there yet, but it will be one day in the future. But for now, Patreon only, 32nd Street, 32ND Street. Very cool. Uh, well worth going out of your way to listen to, folks. By the way, we also have some other stuff here that you might enjoy listening to here at the Jim Hill Media Podcast Network. We have, of course, Disney Dish that I do with Len Testa. We have Fine Tuning that I do with Drew Taylor. Uh, Brian Gunn and I are going to be recording a brand new Looking at Lucasfilm tomorrow. Beyond that, Aaron, if folks are looking to keep tabs on you on social media, where can they find you? Well, as always, we're still thriving brilliantly on Twitter, so just look us up at Azaprod, A-Z-A-P-R-O-D, and we'd love to chat with you. Okay, and as for myself, you can find me on Twitter still, and over on Instagram is Jim Hill Media. Uh, likewise, on Facebook is Jim Hill Media News. All right, I guess for now that's going to do it. Uh, on behalf of Mr. Adams, thank you for tuning in, and we will be back soon.